This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This week, I'm joined by Maeve Canellan, who's Group Strategy Director for Dentsu. Welcome, Maeve. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And I'm also joined by Owen Murphy, who's Programmatic Director from Dentsu. Welcome, Owen. Hi, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Uh, Maeve, you're you're a seasoned regular in the show now, Owen. This is your first time, so uh, thanks for joining me. First, before we get started, how is everybody? How are you both doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. I'm uh, down in Lewisburg at the moment, enjoying the west of Ireland, so it's great. A staycation, very nice, very good. Owen, how are you getting on? Yeah, good. I'm just actually back from one as well, from all to the west. I was in uh, Donegal for a week, so um, it was really good. Really enjoyed it. First time up there, so I'd highly recommend it. I'm jealous. I feel like I'm the only one who hasn't been away, so I have holidays in two weeks' time. So, um, yeah. Okay, well, uh, thanks for joining me, and we'll crack on. Today, we're going to talk about display advertising, and we tend to talk about display advertising quite a lot in different guises because it involves a number of different things. It touches on a number of different aspects, uh, and it changes so quickly. So, it can be quite a, a tricky subject. There's loads of moving parts and interdependencies between media, particularly digital. So, May, first of all, you wrote an article that's in today's Irish Times. Um, and I think it was the title that grabbed my attention, which was why it's time to rethink display. So let's start off there. We all know that third party cookies are being phased out by Google. Their announcement was in January this year. And even though it was expected, it came as a bit of a it shouldn't have, but it came as a bit of a shocker. And there is a saying that people use quite a lot, which is never waste a crisis. And it seems that the industry keeps pleading for a stay of execution on, on this matter, asking Google to extend the deadline. So the first question I have, Maeve, we'll kick off with you is, why are we trying to just kick the can down the road? Surely we just have to accept this. We just have to get on that this is the way it is and stop um, looking for extensions and excuses to delay it. Why don't we just get on with it? Yeah. And like, I think there's definitely a couple of things there. You know, the first thing is thinking about actually, why is the industry getting rid of third party cookies? And answering this is really, really important uh, because I think it's going to help us understand and I suppose deal with the fact that they will no longer be in existence. And, you know, Google aren't the first to do it. Safari's done it. Mozilla Firefox have, doing, have done it. I think just Chrome has more impact. So it's creating more of a, a stir in the in the industry. Um. But yeah, we're getting rid of third-party cookies, but that's it's got way more to do with just our advertising or our retargeting. Like this now is about putting a stake in the ground and saying we need to future-proof our digital ecosystem. And we need to do that because we need to make it like safe for the actual user that's using it and be, make, create an environment where people aren't worried about how their details and their privacy is going to show up. So it all comes back to this conversation of, you know, privacy ownership of your online identity. So when it comes to third-party cookies, they're just one of the actors that give us the ability to follow and create unique users. And that's where the kind of problem is. So it's not about like, you know, pushing against the removal of third-party cookies. It should be, or and it shouldn't be about like how we replicate that exact tech with just another tech, mm. but it is about how we should start creating this new environment with a user in mind. And that's what I think now we have to start to understand and respect. So in saying that, you know, in my mind, 
It's also not about finding that specific tech that will do the exact same job of fingerprinting or pinpointing a user on a personal level. As then we're just replicating the problem and the servers will just come back and push back against those anyway. So um, yeah, it's about saying, okay, now's the time that we have to create a better ecosystem. And when we start getting that in mind, then we can start saying, okay, well, pushing back on third party users isn't going to be the case. It's about how actually can we ensure that more and more people don't start using ad blockers and ad servers because they just don't like what they feel uh, the undercurrents of kind of display can create. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you could argue that we only have ourselves to blame for this because it was our utter negligence in terms of consumer privacy and user experience. So our cookie abuse, you could say, has shone an unwelcome spotlight on the industry. So, and I guess when you think about, because we've talked about this a lot on this podcast over the last 12 months, I think it crops up in a number of different areas, but the big tech companies are increasingly under pressure. There's lots of people focus on them because they make so much money uh, and whether they treat users' privacy respectfully. So, you know, there was a thought when I had Kieran O'Kane on last year that his view is that this is a sacrificial lamb that that Google are just going to offer up to give the, and and this is his words, not mine, like the illusion of good corporate citizens and that they can step out of this. So there's a couple of interesting things going on because if you take it on face value, this might be a good thing to stop to preempt legislation that may, you know, break up the company and, and they'd much rather take a slap on the wrist now than you know, getting their arm cut off next year. So I can see strategically why this might make sense for Google. But do you think, and an open question to anybody, do you think that they really care about user privacy genuinely? Is this genuinely a commitment to a better internet or is this to just look, hey, everybody, we're being good boys. Stop, stop talking about us. Stop focusing on us. Leave us alone. Let us get on with it. We're offering this up and we make loads of money. Do they care? Do you think? Well, I think there's kind of two two sides to that. I mean, first, I mean, they've made the decision and it's it's going to happen. So I think we could spend a lot of time second guessing the reasons behind it. But if it's going to happen, there's, there's no real um, way around it. So I think it's just something we have to live with and just kind of accept, as you said. But there is another element, which I think, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years since the introduction of GDPR, where you know, we run activity programmatically across the world. So we have some stuff that runs in Europe and we're abiding by GDPR restrictions and the impact that has on our ability to capture cookies and um, retargeting audiences. And then we run outside of Europe across the rest of the world. And we see these huge, huge disparities in what we can do and what we can track. So while it is going to have an impact, there is a chance actually this will help us harmonize our activity when we are running across the world. You know, we were not going to have this disparity between what mm-hmm. we see in the US and obviously there's the California guidelines, which are specific. And then we've got GDPR issues in mm-hmm. Europe. So there is a potential for it to kind of, as I said, give us a bit more harmonization globally if we don't have those kind of cookie blocking policies. Yeah, good point. I think normally what happens is the the strictest policy becomes a de facto standard. So, but I think a good we we probably end up at a at a standardized care system for third party cookies or privacy. But Maeve, just one question for you: If third party cookies become obsolete, and I know Google are you know some people, and I'm saying that they're doing it for a, to create a better web. But actually, isn't this good for Google? I know they're going to lose money, but isn't it good for Google if third party cookies are dead? Because doesn't that mean that their first part, their data becomes more important, and their wall garden becomes more important, and that inadvertently then they'll get more business out of it? Or am I wrong about that? Yes, a lot of cynicism coming through there, Dave. But I think, look, at the end of the day, like any other business. You're going to look to the future. You're going to see where opportunities lie. Privacy is a massive big issue. It's not going away. 
Do Google care about privacy? Well, I hope so. And I'm sure there's loads of people in there that do, but they definitely care about revenue um, and about future-proofing their business model. But I think, you know, not for one second do I think they're going to get rid of third-party cookies without a solution in mind. Uh, Mm. And thinking about what they are used for, like when it comes to our third-party cookies, not everything they can do is going to be replaced by first-party data. You know, we're still kind of pinpointing behavior, creating custom in-market audiences, creating custom lists, you know, retargeting with really like a real informed understanding of user behavior. Third-party cookies lets us do all of that. And first-party data won't always be a solution to that. But they are creating this, you know, Google privacy sandbox, or sorry, not they aren't, they have a Google privacy sandbox. Um, they have a learning, their machine learning, which is their kind of federation of learning cohorts. Basically, that's going to be using an approach where we're going to, that's powered by machine learning, that's going to create these cohorts called flocks. These flocks mm-hmm. are created through users' browser history, but at a group level right. rather than individually and without personally identifying people. And then as it learns more, it's going to continue to flock those groups of people into these groups together. So like birds and feathers flock together, which I quite like. Right, yeah. um, and then those, they're going to have that flock to allow for agencies to target. So that's going to be like, I suppose, your in-market audience. So right. there are solutions that will be that are being created and do actually exist that aren't and and going back to the big issue which is around like personal identification and privacy so there are solutions and tech solutions that are being created to help us still have a model where you know we're not going to take away like revenue generation from websites but actually learn to just do it in a better way mm. but i think also then to your point, so that's how, like, you know, we're going to look at how we're going to use that as an um, as an agency standard. And to your point, yeah, publishers and clients alike with first party data are absolutely going to be at an advantage. But also, we still have to think clear of how are we going to take that first party data, how are we going to use it, and also ensuring that we're getting total explicit consent of how we do use that first party data, and then getting the dial right between new technology and systems Mm. plus first party data and being smart and clever and strategic on how we use that best to our advantage for the, like, you know, campaign that we're working in at that time. I don't know if you agree, but. Yeah, look, I think part of the kind of touching about the idea of trying to kick it down the road with the announcement obviously kind of came quite suddenly. And as of yet, you know, Google haven't said much since about what they future will be for their audiences and how they're um, going to capture them, how we're going to use them. So I think that's what's causing a bit of trepidation and a bit of fear to a certain extent amongst people. But uh, yeah, I 100% they're going to have, um, you know, solutions they'll be able to roll out to help us kind of achieve similar segmentation or find ways of doing segmentation that we were doing previously. And, you know, we've been speaking to third party data providers um, recently, you know, and some of those guys are already looking at cookie audiences um, and addressable mm-hmm. audiences using their own system. So there will be opportunities there. It's not like mm. we're going to lose everything and we are back to ground zero. So right. I think obviously there's a bit of it we have to wait and see. But as I said, in the meantime, you know, there are things that we can be looking at and kind of thinking about how we approach display and how we talk right. to our audiences and how we engage them from a creative perspective. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt we will find a solution. There may be some collateral damage. There's probably a lot of companies in the middle that make a business um, and they, they just have no purpose in, in this new model when third-party cookies are gone. But And I think the point is, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you like it or don't like it, it's going to happen. So 
rather than try and push water uphill and try and, you know, just delay the inevitable, we should just get on with it, right? And that I think that's a good thing. So I think it's a great time to start to rethink digital. And I totally agree with that point to, to rethink display and digital. Because maybe we've chatted about this before. You know, I think we got really excited about what was essentially just targeting. Targeting, circumvented planning, removal of context. And then, you know, and I think in the article, maybe you point out that the capability that the advancements in technology created then a, a pricing race to the bottom, you know, just lowest comes denominator inventory one and all impressions were deemed equal. So can you talk me through some of those things that happened or some of the problems that we saw arose from this relentless pursuit of cheap CPMs? What are the type of things that this inadvertently, the unintended consequences? Yeah, and it is unintended consequences. And I think it's interesting kind of when we look back over what is actually a really short history of time when it comes to kind of digital display and digital itself and how we got to where we are. And it's, you know, it's that whole thing of what, what, 10 years ago when we talked about digital advertising, it was all just to say nothing else existed really. Like there was a bit of PPC, but it wasn't really as informed as it is now. So digital was display, display was digital. And I think because of that, we put so much effort into what display did. But And then, you know, we got a little bit smarter. So we got things like pop-out, pop-ups. And I remember there was a real fad of like disruptive formats. And then we realized, oh, hold on, that's actually not good cool for the user experience. Then, you know, obviously programmatic comes along and it's this cool new shiny piece of tech that's really smart and kind of like we kind of all grab onto it as this new thing that's going to solve all of our you know campaign problems like with this kind of one size fits all kind of sale aggregator and I suppose you know it grew really really quickly there was loads of different tech elements that came involved that we weren't used to and all we saw was this solution that was this like low cost um, aligned and we, and we aligned this low cost we called it efficiency and then you know everyone's put under pressure to get like the cheapest CPM rate so that you can get the cheapest objective and everything that you're doing has been done in a really really good way so then you get to this race to the bottom where I just want everything as efficient as possible which actually starts pushing into this how we won't get into it now but like short termism of let's put all of my investment into like uh, open market targeting on a trading desk because then we're going to get really really cheap impressions but then we start we didn't start thinking we lost sight I suppose of user experience and what happened was that when there's loads of different tech involved what we started seeing was fraud and issues around privacy and brand placement came into play so there was we saw ads being stacked on top of each other we saw non-viewable placements I mean we've all been there when we're on a website we go to the bottom and there's nine MPUs hanging out together like that's madness and then also like obviously unsafe brand environment I think what happened was we grew quickly it became quite complex and with all of that growth you know and complexity we kind of lost an understanding of what was going on and um, now we've got way better at this kind of stuff but like to my uh, like thought it's like to what cost now we have to have you know efficient enough CPMs where we can dial in and find a behavior or a persona really quite quickly and easily and that's cool but you know on top of that we need to ensure that we have the right tech involved to make sure that there's no fraud that we're in safe environments that there's transparency so now we're starting to build up those CPMs again just baked in tech costs mm. and we're kind of going around in the circle which is a bit mental really so mm. I suppose like a long winding way of kind of coming back to a point here is that you know I think 
we've lost the run of ourselves at display and actually it could be a super valuable placement that can play a really strong role in a digital campaign but it's about understanding the role it can play where it can add value and understanding the nuances of how we can weave ourselves into other digital tactics to create mm. a much more integrated campaign without thinking that display has to save the world I suppose Okay so it's all Owen's fault basically Owen lost the run of himself <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's in like as Maeve said. I think the in such a short short space of time, the industry's changed quite a lot. And we did have when I first started, kind of five five and a half years ago in programmatic. The you know the type of if we're talking about specific about display, like the type of formats that were used. We had these interest mobile interstitials, which were quite popular for a while. But again, it was realised look, these are you know they're not a good user experience. They are intrusive, so they kind of um, fell by the wayside. We see less of the kind of mobile banners, you know, the small sticky ones that we see um, in apps. That's kind of fallen away as well because it doesn't really give our advertisers the right space to fully get their message across. And I think we also saw a lot of publishers clean up their act in terms of those kind of ad placements that Maeve mentioned, you know, kind of like huge amount of uh, different formats just serving out on the one page. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. come a long way in a lot of publishers and our premium publishers, you know, they have very strict guidelines about how many placements they have on a page, where they sit. So it's definitely improved in that sense. And, you know, we have a lot better technology now involved in identifying and uh, the removal of fraud and for tracking viewability as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's definitely uh, helped. And I think the good thing, even with this removal of cookies, it shouldn't have any impact on our ability to use brand safety tools and mm-hmm. to use the likes of Integral Ad Science or Double Verify to measure that and to make sure we are being safe. But I think the, yeah, there is an interesting point there around CPM efficiency and race to the bottom and it kind of got lost between having as cheap CPM as possible but are we and this uh, kind of slight pushback against the idea of additional tech fees I think we've seen that recently with the um, ISBA report that was released about where advertisers spend was going how much was going to certain tech providers and we were uh, speaking to uh, one of our clients who is the lead for digital marketing global for a company and he kind of read the report and he was saying the the I think the thing for them was to focus on what's the the trade-off is technology and if we are paying costs for technology is there a trade-off are we getting good results out of it because if that's the case then that should be the focus rather than just have as cheap as possible so um, you know it's important to understand the tech you're using and the cost that's associated with that and and I said understanding that value trade-off as well and finding that middle ground that, that works. Yeah, and I, I think at the risk of sounding unpopular with, to some people, I do think that there's a lot of people in this ecosystem and, and we are the media buyers, but, it, you know, we're agents, it's clients' money and we're being put under pressure for clients to deliver low CPMs. And I think that there's an onus on clients and procurement to actually understand that cheap CPMs, if, if they're going to put so much pressure on the cheapest CPM and the cheapest price wins, there's going to be problems with that. It's like the point I always make, like if you see a t-shirt on a rack in a retailer for $2.99 and you buy that, somebody has been working for, you know, pennies along that supply chain because it can't come, you can't get a t-shirt from Bangladesh shipped over, made and put in a rack uh, in a a shop for $2.99. So if you buy that, you are part of that problem. And I think if... um, I just think the race for, for cheap CPMs, I think we're all in a clients of responsibility and procurement have responsibility to understand that they're adding fuel to these flames. Um, but we could go on and get in a rabbit hole here. Just one thing, Maeve, and we're going to get into the, what we can do and, and Owen will chat about this now. So I think too much of the online, but I think you both said this, that the web at the moment has been built from an 
advertiser's point of view and with to the detriment of the user and we are where we are now because we had a false economy so we thought all those horrible formats like pop-ups and things like that we just there was a time where we thought disruptive would have been used I would have used that quite a lot in strategies and it's a horrible word because who wants to be disruptive you shouldn't be and now we should be talking about like we used to talk about we need to disrupt this we need to disrupt that that's not a good strategy to deliberately disrupt um, audiences but but we talk like that and actually so what happens is now once technology's there, you know, shocker, consumers start rejecting ads. This comes up quite a lot. I always say people don't hate advertising. They hate bad advertising and they hate poorly targeted advertising and they hate advertising that annoys them and disrupts them. They, but they don't mind advertising per se. So I think, you know, advertising and media can doesn't have to be negative, doesn't have to be disruptive. It can be useful. It can be helpful. It can be positive if it's done in the right way. So on that point about rethinking things now and thinking from a user point of view, what are the things you should start doing now, Maeve? How might we start to look at responsible marketing uh, in, in a cookie-less world there? What might that look like? What are your four or five points? Um, well, I suppose the big thing is putting the user first. So it is always going to be, if I am receiving this ad, would I be happy about it? So think about yourself. Think about that um, user. Think about, I suppose we can keep talking about it across multiple podcasts as well, but it's about user experience. And we want to make that happy. So that means don't, you know, start stalking people around the internet for 30 days, you know, align with the right context at the right time. So, you know, don't be like, as we keep saying, like, like forget about being disruptive, just be useful uh, and stop annoying people. And I think, you know, we can do that. I suppose for media agencies, you know, because there's, there's loads of different actors within the ecosystem. You know, I think from a media agency point of view, I think we have to really kind of dig into how we start approaching display, how we manage it, what we like, we'll actually put up with it, we're not put up with, but what we say is good and not good and only buy in those areas, you know. And also we need to start looking at how we activate and measure display as well. And, you know, kind of coming back into that, like what is the role for and how can we use it? But like, Similarly, when it comes to publishers, you know, bringing back quality and value to those placements that were once so incredibly powerful. And, you know, you can see it and we see it in results when, you know, there are specific strong Irish premium websites that have done that. I think RTE and the Irish Times are brilliant examples of, you know, you go onto their website pages and they're clean and the user experience is really, really good. They have a big billboard format at the top. They might have a half page unit. They have a couple of MPUs dispersed. Sometimes they have a skin and that's it. So if I'm interested, it will get my attention. If I'm not, I can go on with my day and read my article. And that's the dream because it brings value back into those placements. And as an advertiser, I want to be there. But then I also think that we have to come back to making good creative. And that's always going to be part of that. You know, Dave Lenny was on last week talking about a creative intelligence and then, you know, to plan for a creative first execution. And I think that's so important. So it's understanding like, you know, how can we create good creative and really interrogate the user experience to ensure we're bringing right message and context at right time. So I think there's roles for all of us and kind of to work together. But I think for me, the big thing is I would much prefer to see more value and from that better results coming from less display impressions. And that's where I think we need to nearly take a step back and I suppose... Do less, better, but and if mm. that is going to increase the CPIM rate, that's fine because we're putting a really strong, valuable message in a good place, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think there's kind of two points on that. I think man may have touched on it, the designing of creative and designing for context. And I kind of take this beyond display and talk more about from a programmatic point of view. If you look at, you know, inclusive of digital audio now and YouTube and video as well. What we see with a lot of those, obviously, you know, digital audio is still quite nascent in Ireland. We have a lot of uh, brands adopting it now. YouTube obviously has become huge over the last kind of 18 months to two years um, and a lot of advertisers are seeing the value in it and, and the environment. But I think we need to, what we keep encouraging our clients to do is to kind of think about that environment and the advertiser we're serving with them. So instead of just taking your TV ad and putting that on YouTube as well, think more about what that YouTube environment looks like and having some kind of differentiation. So we're not just using an ad that's running on TV that users are already being exposed to, but, you know, diversifying and having something that resonates more with with the mm. platform they're using and the same with audio we obviously as i said we're seeing huge adoption of that and gives us the ability to tap into um like podcast inventory which you know is huge and it keeps expanding so again designing creative that fits within a podcast environment instead of just reappropriating our radio yeah. ads um i think will bring a huge amount of value to both the user uh, and to our clients as well so, and second thing I was going to th- say was obviously um, may have kind of touched on uh, Dave Lenny and creative intelligence dynamic. And I think there might be a fear that, you know, that with the removal of cookies, that that will be the end of dynamic creative. And I, I don't think that should be the case because when we work with our dynamic campaigns, we don't create them in the platform based on cookie IDs or audience IDs. We do it based on our uh, platform setup and use those as the triggers. So we have the ability to use, you know, our contextual targeting if we're working with publishers and tapping into their data. And again, just having a good mapped out strategy that can align with that and having that message that resonates, that makes that connection. And, you know, then making sure that we're taking users to the right place that they Mm. want to be on a website based on the message. And I said that kind of full uh, user journey strategy is really important. Yeah, because I think it's a good point, the context and good point on audio, because audio and audience segmentation, it's a pretty expensive way to buy people if you're just going to play them the same ad that you played in radio. And it's not really, we don't have a reach problem in radio. So I do think it's important to think about the channel and, and what you're going to do with it. But quite often, I don't know if people consider that and, and, and what the role the channel or, or the particular, you know, format is playing. Maeve, the other points you touched on. So that was the first one. So yeah, no, I think like the big thing for us is like when we're starting to plan, like in terms of like looking at this new feature, you have to be just super clear on the role of programmatic display itself. And I think we touched on that a little bit, like the digital ecosystem is so much more than just display now. And there's so many different ways to connect from social, audio, video. So just know our role and know our place and where we can add value because we don't have to be all things to all people. We don't have to retarget people 5 million times around the internet in order to push a purchase because we've got really strongly informed um, PPC now. We're interrogating UX, we've got CRO, we're kind of doing all of that. So kind of bringing value back to what that role is. But I think secondly, and kind of talked about it a bit as well, uh, is just really, really getting to understand first-party data. And I think now's the time, so what phased out by 2022, we should be having these conversations if we're not already now with our clients and our publisher partners about what kind of first-party data do we have? How can we cultivate first-party data better? Do we have the right technology in place? Are we collecting and activate it? If not, what can we use? What do we have to do? 
you know, and then kind of once we have that with our clients, then start making alliances with our alliances is a strong word. But yeah, making alliances with our publisher partners. Uh, who's got strong first party data that we can start to work with? How can we create like a pipeline um, of data to connect across advertisers and publishers? And how can we match this data together mm. to just create a really, really strong network? And I think, you know, it's not just about activating across media. It's about like really understanding this data to kind of garner insights to your customers to inform you tactical, contextual vibes as well, mm. right? Mm. So, um, and then like, and I think that's kind of where we really start kind of thinking about getting into the value of what content or bringing us back to the value of a really strong contextual placement and understanding that. I mean, I think maybe like never underestimate the power of a strong contextually relevant placement. Mm. Um, especially when then you add in a really nice, trusted Irish site, you know, yeah. in Ireland. Owen. Uh, so I, I can hear Owen in the background. I know Owen's bursting to get in here. <laughs> I know. Um, but like, no, I do that. No, well, like, I'm a big fan of supporting Irish. And like, we have such amazing publishers and websites in Ireland. And I think with them, they have great technology. They cover a broad range of context and behavior. And also they have scale and reach. So yeah, like I, I would always kind of do that first. And I think have that strong contextually relevant placement add nuances of intent, timing, and even consistency. And now you have this phenomenal foundation to build a really strong like brand memory structures and trustworthiness within your brand which really display isn't doing enough of anymore so I think you know the idea of like aligning relevancy of a message to context creates like a really positive brand experience and then like yeah like you know and even like as I was saying earlier like adding context is a trigger for dynamic creative will deliver this super personalized experience but without jeopardizing the idea of privacy own you make it sound like I hate Irish publishers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like I completely agree. I think the the contextual points, um, and I think when GDPR was coming down the line, there was kind of fear that it would again we'd lose all data and we'd have to move to just contextual. It didn't really happen, and I think in this instance again, it's not necessarily going to be the case. But it is an important point that we kind of think about that and and use those triggers, and even outside of contextual, you know, we can still work on geography. We can use on work on you know what kind of devices these people are looking at. You know, is it a smartphone? Is it a iPhone smartphone? And you know, think about that all the way through. Um, so I think it's really important. I think there's definitely opportunities to work with publishers and see what kind of data passbacks we can do between the two to to find our audiences on those sites. I think it's going to be complicated. I think again just touching back on that ISBA report one of the issues they found with some of the data was consistency um, and consistency of data Mm -hmm. to be able to to match back a lot of information so I think it won't be a quick solution. I think it'll take time for that to be addressed. And I know there's obviously a lot of talk as well about trying to create global taxonomies for data across publishers so they can try and kind of do this audience matching across sites, um, which hopefully will be the case. But as I think there will be complications with that. My, my only point um, I think with that is that I think we need to, as we're looking at this user behavior and think about the user, that, you know, for a lot of users, they won't know that this has happened. They won't be aware of this um, Mm -hmm. and their user behaviors aren't going to change. 
So I think we just need to be careful a little bit about this idea that we know there are some really great Irish publishers and they have huge wealths of data that we can tap into. And that's fantastic. But that we don't just funnel ourselves down into just using those, because if we I think we talked about this before, Maeve, like if you take our office of 150 odd people, 40 percent of which, you know, aren't um, from Ireland, they're from around the world. We have a hugely diverse um, office, you know, their user behavior and the sites they visit aren't going to change you know they're still going to go to a local french site for sport whatever it may be they're not all of a sudden going to just be going to your irish publishers just because they have the data so i think it's really important that we strike a balance between you know using that contextual data and using those other triggers as well while also working with these publishers and again making sure that the value we are getting that kind of value for our clients at the end of the day because you know these premium sites do have huge amount of reach but if everybody funnels all their media activation into them and trying to buy their data that's going to again increase cpms Mm. to like how much is that going to inflate cpms and are we getting the results off the back of that so so i think it's about generally striking a balance and i think the other thing as well is that we want to make sure we do have some great irish publishers but we want to that to keep thriving so you know by give by working contextually it works for the end user it works for the client but it also means that you know if you're a startup irish website which could be really great and have some great content and you know grow to be something uh, really massive that you know they have the ability as well to generate revenue and to to get bigger and to you know become established as well um without just the kind of reliance on you know building up a little bit of steam and then to eventually kind of be bought out just by a small number of sites, be it Irish or global, who have the ability and who have to spend to then ingest that and use their data. So I, I think it's just balance. as we're looking at this in a broader picture, it's just kind of finding the balance across the spectrum. Yeah. So there, Maeve, it's about balance, Maeve. Yeah, it is about balance. <laughs> and I do get that. I suppose my whole thought would be, and I absolutely agree with Owen in terms of what we don't want to do is create some kind of walled garden programmatic bubble where uh, we're just kind of investing in same and not pushing out opportunity. But what I would say is that let's not be our first response to activity is, oh, we'll just open up the exchange or we'll just like expand out. If we are going to be going, uh, I think what I suppose I would love to see is more transparency and ownership on where we're placing our brands and who they're hanging out with. So, you know, it's not just a kind of click to open up our targeting and then follow what I'm going to say is an inverted commas behavior around the internet. Because I think a lot of times what's happening at the moment is we open up our eyes to follow behavior, but we're not using the right triggers or information to actually ensure that, you know, we're going after the right person at the right Mm. time with the right intent. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just putting a bit of a, yeah, I think we absolutely need to get the balance right and not create a programmatic bubble, but also ensure that we're not just opening up an exchange by and cookie bombing the world and then being able to say, hey, didn't I do great because of uh, I got a hundred, I don't know, conversions based on this 30 day, um, you know, post impression window. One of the kind of questions around, you know, with this removal of cookies is the potential impact that will have on, you know, our ability to do frequency capping um, and how that look like. So, yeah, as I said, don't want to just potentially go into a world where we're using a contextual targeting on open exchange where 
where at the moment we can manage frequency capping, but we don't have that. And again, if that ends up in this kind of cookie bombing scenario, that's definitely not a good experience for the users. And we're kind of pushing against ourselves in that sense. And I think the other thing, and we kind of talked about this, an important aspect as well, and you're saying about, you know, this idea of better getting X amount of conversions. Obviously, we do that and we kind of track that at the moment through like the ad server to likes of Google Campaign Manager. But I think an important thing as well for our clients, and I think we have seen a massive adoption of this over the last few years, is for clients to kind of really start looking and digging into their analytics of their own websites and having that kind of proper analytic structure with their, um, with their URLs so that they can measure on site the efficacy and the importance and understand the role of each channel, be it search and social and use that as a way of, um, you know, passing back information uh, to the agency and say, yes, this is working or no, this is not working and seeing how it works within, you know, the full picture of a channel execution. Because um, I think for agents, we've kind of, we started like to just have this one source of truth. Uh, this is a few years ago, and that was through our ad server and double click on pushing. I think we've got smarter over the past couple of years where we're now, you know, definitely ingesting analytics and then even client sales data to get closer to that point of truth, which is that one specific sale and what created it. And learning to use not a one tool is the absolute answer, but like what are like nearly using our different kind of tools as diagnostic tools to understand a passionate behavior or a consumer journey. And yes, I totally agree with that. I look forward to having better metrics and reporting structures in place. Okay, I feel better. I was because because I've been <laughs> full of doom and gloom about third party cookies and what we're not going to be able to do anymore. And we seem to be talking forever about the things we won't be able to do and how the bad things are going to happen. But actually, it's positive and it'll be a better web, I think, from everybody's point of view. And I think not just trying to find a, a cheeky workaround, which we tend to do as human beings, we tend to try and say, how can we get around this? But I think if we do it properly, it'll be just better for everybody all around, advertisers and users. So uh, we're running out of time. I just want to say thanks to Andrea on sound. Thanks to Maeve and Owen for joining me today. And thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions. So until two weeks time, see you later. This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions.